Good morning. Hey, we are uh, thrilled to be with you this morning. Uh, beautiful spring, May morning, and uh, a little bit of a serendipity morning this morning in that we're going to set aside Ephesians for a little bit and uh, just for this Sunday. And we're taking a change simply because this Sunday is our Elders Sunday. And what that means is we ask the elders to come be a part of the service, to teach, to read scripture, to, to join us in this service. And the fun part about it is that this was on the calendar months and months ago that we would do just this and would switch to study Romans 8. And Romans 8 focuses on victory and times of difficulty. And we just find that this morning, this is a perfect passage for where we are. So we're excited. Um, we've done some uh, ability to have them teach. And the scripture even says that one of the, the, um, one of the requirements for an elder is that they're able to teach. And the concept for us is as you get a chance to hear from the elders, we think you're going to be blessed by what they teach. And if they did it wrong, it's on video. We were able to edit that out. And so their lips might be off slightly, but we got it all corrected. Uh, I'm joking about that. Um, we, once again, we are excited uh, for this morning and want to jump right in. We're going to begin with, uh, as we've been doing over the last few weeks, with, uh, with a prayer. And uh, we'll ask you to just simply... Begin this process of worship, get your heart set right, start to just listen to the words of this and join with us in worship. O oh God, whose son Jesus is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. We've broken up our teaching of Romans chapter 8 today into four different sections. And so before we uh, hear from Jay Huckabone in the first section, let's read that together. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And if you don't, we'll put it on your screen there and you can follow along. It says this in the first 11 verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if, this, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Good morning. I'm Jay Huckabone. I'm... Good morning. I'm Jay Huckabone. I'm currently on the elder board and 
Like you, I'm in the midst of rules and separation and inconveniences, and I'm looking for victory. Romans chapter 8 is a victorious chapter for the situation back then and for our situation now and for situations moving forward. If you are a Christian, it's a good time to get our bearings. And if you have not identified as a Christian or wondering if you are, I hope that we can have your ear this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 declares, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so ask yourself that question this morning. Are you secure in Jesus? If you're looking for hope that can be experienced, not only now, but going forward, it all starts with Jesus. Verse 3 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. In other words, we cannot climb our way to salvation or favor with God by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The only God who created you and came to this earth that had sickness and death and separation, he made a way that we could know him and his great love for us. That knowledge and that life, the biblical witness would say, is all found in Jesus. It is a free gift, not the result of works or our own effort. It is something that we receive by faith. Now, when we come to Jesus, Paul wants to emphasize that there is a new way of living that will begin to be built in us. We are to be shaped by the Spirit, to be seen by others, so that they might glorify God. Paul contrasts the way of sin, which leads to death, and the way of the Spirit, which leads to life, in verses 5 through 8. And it's interesting that in the first seven chapters of Romans, the Holy Spirit is mentioned only twice. But in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. I think Paul, by the time he gets to this point in his letter, wants you to get excited about the fact that God wants to live within you. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to put the fruits of the Holy Spirit within you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. I brought with me an illustration this morning. I have a bottle filled with vinegar, and inside of this balloon there's some baking soda, something you can try at home, kids. Make sure you get your parents' permission. But when we drop that baking soda into that vinegar, it has a reaction that begins to fill the balloon. And you can begin to see those words that I just spoke about love, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. These are all the tools that God wants to give you. This is just a fun little thing this morning. But God wants to do something within inside of you that is eternal. How many of you can use what the Holy Spirit wants to give you? It is the way to victoriously handle all the inconveniences we are now experiencing and the discouragement that comes with this current season and to be a beacon of light to others who are searching, to revert back to anger and worry and sinking back into old habits to comfort our heart only breaks the heart of God. Verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Or another way of saying it is that it breaks the heart of God because he loves us so much and has so much to bring us so that we can make it through any crisis and we can live forever. Well, how can we be sure? Well, it's been stamped, sealed, set in stone because of the resurrection. 
verse 11 says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We are resurrection people. And when we remember the death of Jesus, we understand that we have no condemnation. But it is only true because it is backed up by Jesus rising from the dead. Paul lets us know that the Holy Spirit did that. Therefore, the resurrection validates every other promise that Jesus ever made as well. The Holy Spirit wants you to experience the promise of abundant life, meaningful life, and fruitful life and eternal life. So when you come to a conclusion, like me, during this highly unusual time when we've had so many things that have been taken away from us, that you've been relying on those things rather than on fulfillment through what the Holy Spirit can bring, it is time for us to confess, but to also look up and remember that we are secure in Jesus. We have been shaped by the Spirit so that we might be seen and others might bring glory to God. And we've been sealed by the power of the resurrection to move forward. Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Well, when the coronavirus crisis hit, I have to admit that, uh, that I was a little bit shaken by it all. And, um, and it's been difficult for me to put words to that, but I think the best way to describe it is by this analogy. Um, it's as if I was playing a board game or, or playing a, a puzzle or working on a, a puzzle. And uh, you probably can relate to that these days, right? But, uh, but, but I'm playing this game and trying to win or trying to finish this really cool puzzle and then, uh, and then I'm, I'm two-thirds of the way through. And then all of a sudden someone comes from behind and just turns the table over and takes all the pieces and just spreads the pieces all over the place. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. But God has worked on me since then. And in fact, he's worked on me through Romans 8, the, the victory that we have in Romans 8 and, and what's important. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Uh, but... but God has caused me to, to rethink my priorities and, uh, and rethink uh, what is important. And that's what I'm going through in my life right now. And also learning that there's nothing for me to be afraid about. There's nothing for you to fear because God has already won and we are victorious in Christ. So Jay has already talked about the fact that we are not dead. No, we're not dead. We're alive in Christ because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God, God lives inside of us. And so that's great news. And now, picking it up in, in verse 14, we see that the, the news just keeps on getting better. So verse 14 says that for all who are led by the Spirit are of God, are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So those who are filled with the Spirit, Christ followers who are filled with the Spirit, 
and are led by the Spirit of God. We are sons and daughters of the living God of the universe. Is that amazing or what? And then that is why we don't have to fear. And the next verse deals with that, verse 15. So you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We have nothing to fear, whether it's coronavirus or whether it's the next thing that comes along. That's the way life is. We live in a broken world, and these things keep on coming into our lives. And verse 15 continues, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we are adopted. We are formally adopted into God's family. We are God's kids. He is our Father. Indeed, He is our our Heavenly Father. And then verse 16 is a wonderful, a wonderful assurance of our salvation. It's a wonderful assurance of, of, of where we are in this family. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we are sons and daughters of God. And so this spirit of God that lives inside of us testifies or witnesses to our spirit that we are indeed part of God's family. And it's, we've been studying Ephesians and uh, thinking of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. This is not something for us to boast about. This is not something for our pride, but this is something that is an absolute gift, an undeserved gift from God. And we can know, we don't have to worry, we don't have to lie awake at night. We know that we are part of the family of God. And then it just keeps on getting better. And we're not only part of the family, but we are also written into the will. Verse 17, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so we one day look forward to this wonderful, wonderful inheritance of the kingdom of God. And it's not anything to compare to earthly wealth. You could pile up all the wealth of the earth, and it doesn't even begin to compare to to this wealth, this inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of the living God. And then verse 17 finishes this way. We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And this suffering and glory so often in Scripture goes together and, and our eternal future is glory, but our earthly journey is filled with suffering to prove us and prepare us for an eternity with Christ. And so, so our bodies one day will be glorified, and we will spend the rest of eternity in the presence of God. What an amazing thing. And I'll close with this. 1 John 2:17 says this, "The world is passing away." along with its desires. So all of this, this world, coronavirus and everything else, it is passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So think about that board game that might be your life or that puzzle that might be your life. And make sure that whatever you're working on is indeed God's will and you will abide with him forever. Romans eight eighteen through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Good morning. My name is Steve Eckberg, and I'm just finishing today. My term as the vice chair of the elder board, and I have served for several years uh, with a great team serving a great and amazing church, each of you uh, in that role. So thank you for being with us today on Elder Sunday 2020. This is different than any of us had planned it to be, but we appreciate your partnership uh, in leading and serving our community through the church here. Um, as I look at our passage this morning, my section is Romans 8, 18 through 30, and it breaks down in really into four C's for me. Uh, comparison, companion, confidence, and challenge. Starting in verse 18, Paul says, the suffering in this present time. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago, and the suffering then was different than the suffering is today, but the suffering in our present time is causing suffering. Uh, what is your present time suffering? In this unprecedented time, what's shaking you? We're seeing our world shaken, our family shaken, our jobs have been shaken. Uh, the church is shaken. It's been shaken by an invisible enemy that none of us is immune to. All of us can get sick with this virus. And so there's a lot that's shaken. But this passage tells us that when we're shaken, when we've got this uh, suffering that we're enduring, when all we thought was firm and stable is beginning to be shaken, that whatever shaken, whatever suffering, whatever pain we're going through can't even compare to the revealed glory of God through that suffering. Because it's in our weakness and it's in our suffering that God is revealed most powerfully. And so we can have confidence this morning that whatever suffering we're going through can't even compare to the glory that will be revealed for him. And this morning we're hearing a lot of stories about how God is being revealed through you. Uh, you're reaching out to those in your community. Out of your own suffering, you're reaching out. You're sending a note of encouragement, maybe praying with people. You're delivering food. You're doing creative and innovative things to try and reach out to those around you. And as we know that as you love on them, it reveals God's love for them to them. So thank you for doing that and being part of this reach out. Our suffering in this present time pales in the comparison to that demonstration of God's love. One of the biggest tragedies of this pandemic is that the present suffering that so many of us are enduring, we suffer alone. We're socially distancing alone. We're staying at home safe, but alone. We're in the hospital with no visitors allowed, alone. And what, perhaps the biggest tragedy is that when people die of this virus, they're often dying alone. But we know, based on this passage in verse 26, 
that we are not alone, that we have a companion. There's no social distance with the Holy Spirit. He can't be kept away by self-quarantine. And even in the lonely isolation of a hospital bed, he's with us. He is our companion in our suffering. Has your suffering ever been so great that all you can do is groan under the weight of it? Well, the Holy Spirit suffers with us in that same way. He's not somebody who just sits idly by silently while we suffer. He suffers in our pain. He actively intercedes for us on our behalf with our Father in heaven, with his own groanings, identifying with our pain and advocating for us. Whatever present suffering we endure, we know it can't compare with God's revealed glory. We have a companion to walk with us on this present journey. And then verse 28. Verse 28 says, we can know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those, who call, those called according to his purpose, that we can have this confident expectation that all things will work together for good. Somehow it will. But therein lies the challenge. Our culture has declared that church is not essential. The pandemic means we cannot meet together like we normally would. I'm here this morning talking to a video camera with a few people in an empty room, not a normal Sunday morning at all. But verse 28 So how will God make all things, including this pandemic, work together? I don't know. Only he knows. But I do wonder, is it possible that he's shaking our idea of church? Could it be that he's teaching us that true church is more than a Sunday morning uh, with music, uh, friends, and a great TED Talk? Is he stirring us to think differently about how we do what we do? Back on March 15th, like many of you, I was shaken as I sat on my back patio and logged in to watch live stream church in this COVID era for the first time. As I sat there waiting for the service to start, it occurred to me that the church had left the building, literally left the building. And what does that mean? What is a church without a building? What does it mean for us as a body of believers? How do adult fellowships fellowship? I remembered several years ago when we were putting a campaign together to build the Commons building. Kevin Stevenson is a member of our family here in Fullerton Free, wrote a song. It was called, It's Only a Building. Part of the lyrics that stirred me and came to mind that, that Sunday morning was, this is only a building. We all know it's true. The real church of God lives in me and in you. This is only a building. The Lord never could live in hallways constructed of concrete and wood. But this concrete and conduit, sheetrock and steel, gives substance and form to the things that are real. Our lives are like stories we live page to page. Our faith is a drama, this building, a stage. In this present suffering, we can be confident that God is working for our good and the good of those we care about and love. You are the church and you have left the building because while we do meet here, the church doesn't just sit at the corner of Bray and Bastoncherry in Fullerton. The church is in La Habra, it's your Belinda, Orange, Buena Park, Fullerton, Brea, Placentia, and all over the world, wherever you are. This morning, we're hearing great stories about how God's glory is being revealed through his church, through each of you, as you allow him to work in your weakness and bless those around you. One of Paul's consistent <clears throat> statements in many of his letters is that he thanks God for the way the church is living out God's love for people. As an elder board, we thank God for the way he is working through his church through each of you to make things work together for good. Our prayer is that in whatever challenge you're facing, you will experience radiant peace rooted in confident expectation. Reading Romans 8, 31 through 39. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul gets to verse 31, and uh, I feel like he takes a little breath, and uh, as a teacher or professor would talk to their uh, students, he uh, stands back and says, uh, what then? So what? What should we do with this? Uh, we've, we've discussed uh, the freedom we have um, through Christ and his work on the cross. We've discussed uh, sonship and being heirs and uh, the future glory that is uh, available to us. And he says, how should we think about this? Um, what should we say about it? And uh, maybe more importantly, what should we do about it? And he goes in this beautiful monologue in verses 31 through uh, 38 here. And, and he starts by asking us four questions. Uh, verse 31, who could be against us? Uh, verse 33, who could bring any charge against us? Verse 34, who can condemn us? And verse 35, who or what can separate us from his love? Uh, and the answer to all four of those questions is a resounding no. No one, nothing can separate us from his love. So who can stand against us? No one. If God is willing to sacrifice his son for us, how much more is he willing to work for us in our good? Uh, Philippians 1.6, I love this verse. It says, he who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to completion. Such powerful words there. Uh, who can bring any charge against us? No one. God is the, true, is the one true judge, and he has already pronounced us not guilty. Uh, who can condemn us? Uh, no one. Jesus Christ is died and is seated at the right hand of God the Father and is interceding for us already. And maybe the most powerful part of the, pa the whole passage is who can separate us from his love? No one. And Paul lists all these, all these things that can't separate us. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, danger, nakedness, sword, and dare I add, pandemic, coronavirus, living in a house with three kids for the last six weeks or whatever it is, I can't even keep track. All those things cannot separate us from his love. So Paul gets to verse 37, uh, and he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And I was thinking about that more than conquerors the last couple weeks. And it's interesting, you think of conquerors and you think of winning. Um, 
but it's not just winning, conquering, it's more like a dominating aspect of it. Uh, and then, but you think about the way uh, Christ sacrificially lived his life and died for us, and uh, you think of the love that is. So you can't talk about being victorious the way it says in verse 37 without thinking of Christ's love for us. Uh, and there's so much power in that. Uh, to close off this uh, section, and, and actually to end uh, Romans 8, um, I'd like to read again verse 38, just because it's such a beautiful verse and uh, one that I would uh, challenge everybody to commit to memory if you haven't already done so. Um, verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation we will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, and that foolish and free is awesome. That nothing can separate us from his love, not anything that we're facing right now, not anything in all of creation, and not anything in the heavens as well. Um, and that's, there's so much power in that. Um, so Fullerton Free, uh, I'd just like to close with uh, Paul's challenge in the verse 31 is, so what? What should we do with this? Um, we are victorious. Christ has already paid that debt, and uh, we can live our lives accordingly. Well, church family, I hope this morning you've been as blessed as I have. I got to screen these, uh, these teaching moments and testimonies earlier in the week, and I shot off an email immediately to the elders and said, I think our church is going to be so blessed. We are obviously blessed to have elders like these who love God's word, who love our church family, who are excited to see what the Lord Jesus can do both in our church and in our community. I feel very blessed. And as, uh, as Jonathan Balzora and Steve Eckberg and Dave Kennedy roll off of the, uh, the elder board, we're certainly grateful for the things that they've done. And I pray God's blessing upon them and their family for the sacrifices they've made. As, uh, as Gene Shepard and Jeff Key and Josh Freeman, Lord willing, roll on to the elder board, we're excited that God has raised those men and their families up to serve in the same capacity in the days ahead. We're grateful for all of the guys you've seen this morning and their families and just the way that God has used them. But the whole morning for us, the, the, the intention was to focus on God's victory, his victorious power. We see it again and again in Romans chapter 8. We've heard it clearly articulated this morning. But we've also heard testimonies about the way that God has been victorious in our church family over the last year. Uh, there have been all kinds of witnesses to the idea that God and his power are on the move. I think in this season it can kind of feel like everything is a little stifled or everything's a little muffled. But the same God that was victorious when Romans 8 was inspired and written by Paul, the same God who was victorious throughout all of human history and throughout all of time, the same God that has been victorious in our church over the last year will be victorious in the days ahead. You know, one of the, I don't don't want to get too, too theological with you here, but one of the things we believe and hope in, in God, is that he's something we call immutable. Immutable. There's an easier way to say that for kids at home. An easier way to think of immutable is that God does not change. You know, God himself in Malachi chapter three says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. In James chapter one, which we'll be studying in a month or two, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So this morning as we finish up, I don't want you just to look backwards and go, wow, our God has been victorious. I don't want you just to look at Romans chapter eight and say, wow, our God is capable of being victorious. I want you to celebrate with me the reality that in the days and weeks and months ahead, our God will again 
continue to be victorious. He is the victor in all of human history, in all of time. The Lord Jesus, through his shed blood on the cross, his resurrection, and the empowerment of his church through his Holy Spirit, will continue to be victorious in us.